0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has just released their new shotgun called the Renegade. The Renegade is tough, reliable, and ready for anything. Whether you're busting clays, dropping ducks, or whacking turkeys, Renegade is built to withstand tough use in extreme conditions. For more information about the Renegade shotgun, visit savagearms.com slash renegade.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy podcast. We're your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. (laughs) All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Dye, and we've got a awesome podcast for you guys this week. Um, I've got Frank Longcarriage on the phone, and we're going to be talking um, pretty real about some situations that are occurring throughout um, not just the Midwest, not just the Southeast, but across the country when it comes to quail numbers. And um, Frank is an expert when it comes to quail um, from research, from a hunting standpoint, as well as holding some leadership positions um, and monitoring quail numbers really across the board and what's happening. So Frank is going to speak and, and lead and guide this podcast along as we learn what it is, what the responsibility is, how it falls on folks like you and I to be able to do our part in the name of conservation, in the name of Bob White Quail, to help reverse some trends and improve quail habitat, therefore increase numbers. So, Frank, are you there?
2: Yeah, yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me today.
1: Absolutely, man. And you are always a welcome guest on this podcast. But um, I wish we were talking about happier times.
2: Yeah, yeah. For a lot of reasons,
1: right? Uh, yeah, for for a lot of reasons. I'm not sure exactly when this is going to uh, to drop, but we are in the height of coronavirus, and um, talking pre-show, it's just a weird, weird time here. Yeah. For for all of us, our families, and um, like my my wife is in the the medical field, and um, it's just like I don't really want you to go to work. Uh, I, I don't know what I think or how I think. Um, but it'd be better, it'd be cool if you were home. <laughs> yeah. Um, ah, man.
2: man. You no, know, it's it's so weird. It's such a, I mean, it's it's affecting things that I, you know, even our day-to-day work, we're worried about if we're going to get any burns done because, you know, are we going to be able to get in groups and burn? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a possibility. I think we'll be okay, but that thought runs through your mind when you're even trying to do things like habitat management. You would never think something like that. <clears throat> virus would affect that. But it comes in your mind when you're thinking about that stuff. I
1: mean, yes. You know. It certainly yeah. certainly does. Yeah, it's something that um we all just gotta we all gotta watch and, and just be smart, take care of ourselves, respect others, and uh I think we'll come out of it fine. But oh, sure um I, I hope we have the same outcome for Quail, but I'll I'll basically just kinda turn the floor over to uh to you and allow you to walk us through I don't know maybe past present and and future as we're looking at quail quail numbers across the country. Um, because there's, I don't, there's a, there's a light that needs to be shined upon quail numbers and where we stand right now, because I think a lot of people are, are honestly in the dark regarding that. Would you agree? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think so. and. i I would agree from a lot of different perspectives but but one is as we think about anybody that's listened to this podcast or or has had even a a slight interest in conservation or, or wildlife management probably understands that bobwhite quail numbers across the united states have declined from historic levels i mean that's clear we 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 know this um there's not as many bob white quail hunters as there once was. There's not as many upland game hunters from from that perspective as there once was.
1: But mm-hmm.
2: the 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 point that I want to make and I think the point that we even struggle with from from a state agency perspective is just how dire this decline is and it has been. So in Missouri, we've lost about 80% of our bob whites since about 1980. So, in 40 years, we've lost about 80% of our quail. That is a big, big problem. So, if you think 80%. about it, yeah. So, um, that's a big problem. Think about if we lost 80% of white whitetail deer numbers or 80% of wild turkey numbers. We've lost some places in Missouri 30 to 40% of our turkey numbers, and that's cause for alarm. And oh yeah, rightly so. Rightly sure. so. Right. Well, we've lost about eighty percent of our quail numbers within the state of Missouri, but it also extends across the eastern United States. Some places have lost in excess of ninety percent mm. of their quail numbers, and in one state, Pennsylvania, they have lost a hundred percent of their quail. They now classify wild bobwhite quail as extirpated in Pennsylvania. And so that is that is a sobering thing to think about. A state is as big and robust as, as Pennsylvania is, is they their game and fit or their game agency um no longer considers Bob White as viable or a species within their state.
1: So I, I think we need maybe, to take a moment of silence to let that thing sit in.
2: That's, yeah, that, that's that tough was, news. Yeah, that was pretty sobering. So um I am I'm fortunate I'm I am the vice chair now, and will be the chair in in July of the uh, science subcommittee of the of the National Bobwhite Conservation Initiative. And what this is, is the the initiative is is the state uh, is the countrywide um, really conservation initiative for bobwhite quail. It's operated by the states, the states fund it, um, and then they have certain committees in there. And I'm on the science committee. And so it's really been a, a, a great pleasure to be on that committee in terms of I get to, to be in the same room with these quail coordinators and these quail researchers, really the top – the best of the best from across the country and get to hear what's going on around the country in terms of Bob White. Mm-hmm. And so um, it really – when I sit in the room with these folks and I hear them talking about what they have and what they've lost and what the prognosis is for the future – It really hit me harder as this is a problem of epic proportions in terms of conservation. Some one guy, I read an article. He called he called it America's greatest wildlife tragedy. And if you think about it, it really is. So North America, we've brought back the white-tailed deer from the brink, right? Yep. Uh, We brought back the wild turkey from the brink. We those are. I mean, those are great successes. We brought back otters from the brink. We brought back beavers. All of these all of these species that we've brought back from the dark days of the twenties and thirties and forties, and are, are celebrated as wildlife successes and should be. But right now, according to him, which I which I buy into, we're mm-hmm. staring in the face of one of North America's greatest wildlife tragedies: that we are losing an iconic species uh, across the country. Right. and 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 it is a and it is a shame and and i think that magnitude of loss really needs to be highlighted
1: i definitely agree i mean when and i think we we've probably chatted about this on the road traveling back and forth to consultations it's like when you look at the original distribution map of bob white quail across the country it's like oh, it spanned such a such a large home range and i'll let you talk about that uh here in a second but but when you compare now these there there's some strongholds of quail uh, populations but there's a there's a vast majority of the population or distribution that is not shaded anymore it's not a color on a map where they're just gone and if there are some in, in areas the population is probably rapidly decreasing Based on the small isolated pockets that they have and their their life cycles and trends, so it's like you might you might see in your let's say small general area based on whatever habitat types there are, you might see a, a dense concentration of quail, but outside of that, two miles down the road, you might have someone who hasn't seen a quail in ten years, and it's and it's just alarming that this is the state of of quail numbers right now in our in our landscape and in our country because like you said we we have shown as hunters and conservationists that or trappers that we can have a great impact on improving wild game populations like we can bring them back We, we can take from very low existence rates all the way back into huntable thriving populations but but why have we abandoned or kind of forgotten and, and not done or put research and money into improving quail numbers when we're looking and staring at 80% just in Missouri or 90 to a hundred percent states east of here that are looking at the quail numbers like that. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it,
2: it really is. And, and as, as a guy who's, who's passionate about quail grew up with quail, it really is something that I, I um think about a lot and then I and I get up and I and I try to to tell that story as as much as I can and I'm appreciative of all the efforts that go into all of these wildlife species uh, but it's it, it hurts to see these um these these quail numbers suffering as they are and not a lot of attention or, not as as intense or as much of attention paid as I think there should be, but mm-hmm. that's just you know that's just how I feel you know. Somebody may feel same way about you know white-tailed deer or turkey or whatever. You sure, know? but but you know to get back on when you were talking about the range of the bobwhite, you know they ranged once from the east coast of the United States all the way to eastern Colorado, and then from southern Texas all the way up to in some in certain years back in the heyday they they extended up into Ontario but but generally southern Wisconsin kind of the, the northern limit um, so if we look at the distribution map today there's still quail over pretty much that entire range but the key is is like you said those areas that were once those states that were once fully shaded are now, Shaded only into small pockets. So, so,
1: so basically, you would say like, okay, Virginia or Tennessee. Tennessee still has quail, but but they could have only ninety percent of the quail that they had back in that distribution map. You still have to highlight the state because they fall within the state. But within that state, what is what is the alarming thing is the fact that they're population numbers have decreased so much and now that they're only in just very pockets there's large distances in between these populations and that's the alarming factor correct
2: yeah that's right and so not only is that alarming from just a quail uh, distribution standpoint but it's also alarming in terms of a quail management standpoint because these localized populations now are are fragmented and they're fairly small so it doesn't take much of a uh, catastrophic weather event or a drought in some cases or an extreme wet weather in some cases to you know wipe say a local population out Um, a population that may have three or four coveys within you know a half a mile of each other something happens to wipe those local coveys out or bring it down to one covey,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but then you're in real trouble because you don't have birds close enough to recolonize the habitat that's left. And I have seen this happen in, in my 20 years, say, of managing quail, and certainly in my 30 years of hunting them, I've seen this happen numerous, numerous occasions. Well, localized populations blinked out because of a severe weather event or just poor nesting, or just happened to be that those few nests, those few hens that nested, just happened to have their nests raided by predators and then no quail were produced that summer. And then your, your, your local population blinked out. Mm-hmm. And the habitat may still be reasonable or still may be okay to support quail, but there's no place for quail to come from. There's no way for quail to immigrate in, right? and so that's the real tragedy there of these local fragmented populations. Yeah, there's still quail there, but you're just that much closer to there not being quail there when you have a catastrophic weather event or just a poor nesting season.
1: So you've done presentations, I know, specifically on this topic itself, and something that hits very close to home for you and where you grew up kind of expound on um what your observations have been here uh, locally and where you hunted growing up and and where the state of the habitat is on those exact places now
2: yeah so um i grew up as a quail hunter my dad grew up as a quail hunter growing up as a kid he would get off of the school bus in the afternoons during quail season he would grab his shotgun and the bird dog, and, and they would just go hunting. That's just what he did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have it that lucky growing up. I still had quail not within walking distance, really, like he did, but I still had quail close enough that after school I could reasonably jump in my truck and go and be hunting quail within an hour. Yeah. So I had it still pretty good relative to to what's going on today. But we quail hunted locally, which was in a sort of a two-county area of southwest Missouri, McDonald and Newton counties. And we also hunted other places in western Missouri. We hunted in western Kansas. We we went some other spots. Um, but locally was, was really kind of what I want to focus on is, is when I was growing up, I could go out on weekends with my dad or when he was working. On Christmas break or whatever, I could go and and within an hour, be in places where I could find reasonably find a couple of coveys of quail on this place, another covey or two over here. Some days I could find five coveys on this one larger farm. Well, wow. it wasn't it wasn't um, spectacular by historic quail standards, but it was pretty darn good. Sure. Right. Um, so that's what I grew up with, and I was I was. Um, putting together a presentation of, of really the, the the situation locally with quail, and I thought I'm going to go back and I'm going to revisit all of these sites that I used to quail hunt on, and take photographs and see what they look like now. Mm, yep. and, and going into it, I knew what I was going to find, but I still wanted to see for it for myself. And so I visited a number of places that I used to quail hunt, and. Um, none of these places now held bob whites none of them had habitat that would have the potential to hold bob whites and the landscape around these places was so poor that there was no chance for bob whites to recolonize if the habitat would somehow improve so in all these places there was no other there was there was no quail or really no no hope for quail so so my 15 year old son now there's he could not i could not take him to those places i historically grew up hunting and find quail and that that was that was that was that was a really sobering trip it was it was a sort of a heartbreaking trip um but it really highlighted to me not only the the loss of quail habitat but the magnitude of that scale is we're talking about county-wide now or even region-wide so if you look at the two counties I'm talking about Newton and McDonald, those two counties in Missouri. You cannot reasonably expect to go out with a bird dog and find quail. Not to say there's no quail left in those counties. There's probably scattered coveys here and there, but from a hunting perspective, to to really go out and enjoy a day of hunting, it's over for those two counties as it sits now, and and that was that was heartbreaking. But it was also important for me to see that document, put it on paper, mm-hmm. and to share with folks that, that I know that, hey, this has this happened within the last 20 years. This has happened right before our eyes. How many more counties in Missouri are just the same as this? And, man, we really got to start doing something.
1: And that's the thing. It's, it's less than half of a lifetime that that transformation of multi covey days is gone and and right. th- like that that just screams the need and requirement for active management and disturbances on the landscape and and here's i guess like i guess two thoughts is we can't like that that phrase like hunters are conservationist and like or or hunting is conservation that's not enough Like, here is a proof in the pudding that you as a quail hunter, um, if all you did with all your time was just quail hunt, you would not be helping to make that bird persist anymore. We're seeing drastic decreases in those populations. Yes, you are, as a quail hunter, a voice to help um, bring to light the, the decreases, but that's not enough is just to voice opinion. We're, we're talking, we need some like serious action out there to be able to make these changes and conserve a species of drastic decline. It takes more than just a label of being a hunter to make something like that happen. With that being okay. said, you don't necessarily have to be a quail hunter to still make that impact, what what the great great thing about it is, and you can speak on this um, as well, Frank. But from a whitetail deer standpoint, and from a wild turkey standpoint, there's a lot of overlap in some of the um, the plant communities that you're looking to manage or have oh. exist on a landscape or your your given property that are going to uh, certainly benefit white-tailed deer and wild turkey as well as quail they're going to play a role. Now, if we're fine-tuning the management, yeah, the the exact management is going to be different for quail than it is for deer. However, there is a lot of similarity that I think a lot of people forget. And and it's like so that's why Land and Legacy here we are we're trying to promote way more action outside of a food plot versus just food pot planting because there's not that overlap for quail and benefit if all that you do is plant, um soybeans or roundup ready soybeans well that's really not that beneficial for quail at all especially shatter resistant bean pods guys that's that is like okay here's here's an area i'm removing all the weeds i'm not providing hardly any benefit for quail in this one two acre spot but what if i took that same amount of time that i was devoting to deer and i did something that was outside of the food plot and and manage that had more benefit for quail and wild turkey. Let's say select harvest of, of timber, doing some forest stand improvement, maybe just letting that open field be early successional plant communities. Now, when I choose to do those benefits, I'm having a much bigger impact on the other two species, wild turkey and quail, Then if I just solely focused on a daggum food plot, that isn't providing the overlap and the additional benefits. I think that that's why, let's say, we're adamant and we know, let's say, the science and the benefits that those types of, again, plant communities, not just a single species we're trying to promote of just a monoculture soybeans, but plant communities as a whole – that we need to identify and manage and, and make more popular on the landscape. But we, we've got to be able to adapt or or shift our minds into that. When we hear that maybe another group of hunters, the quail hunters are really suffering, it's it's guys like who, hey, I care about deer or or I'm a turkey hunter. We've got to step in and do our part. And again, that's just a mindset change of, i've got to manage for the greater whole of things versus that one single species because i know that my work as a conservationist is greater than a soybean food plot like there's there's way more stuff out there that we've got to be um bringing attention to like like this podcast here today and it's unfortunate that we're talking about quail numbers being where they're at but it's reality. We can't, yeah. we can't avoid reality and expect it to get better. It's not going no, no, no. to.
2: No, that's right. And and that's important. I, I think in bringing out these, these sobering facts about quails. If is if you don't know that there's a problem or you don't know the magnitude of the problem, then you, and you don't know that there needs to be solutions to fix it. Yeah. And that's what we need to do is Matt is, is, is really show the magnitude of the situation and then we can attack it. You know, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, the, the turkey decline across the country is is sad as well. Um, you know We're seeing this in Missouri. They're seeing it all across the southeast, seeing it in Kansas, this turkey decline. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that the turkey folks have really picked up on is poor nesting and poor brood-rearing habitat. And so you just had two podcasts on, two podcast guests that talked about the abysmal nesting success mm-hmm. of wild turkeys and the terrible poult survival. And one of those was Brett Collier from yep. Louisiana State. And he was a grad school office mate of mine. We went to grad oh, school wow. yeah. at the University of Arkansas and we're buddies mm-hmm. and hunted together. So it was really cool to hear him on there, but he was talking about brood habitat. Yes. And and um, man, that's that is exciting from my standpoint because I know that these turkey guys with the Wild Turkey Federation and all the support that they have and all their numbers. Are going to start talking about brood habitat for quail. And what that is going to do is, I'm going to be back there cheering them on because I love to quote, to, to, excuse me, brood habitat for turkeys. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be cheering them on because, one, I love the turkey hunt. Yep. It's probably my second favorite thing to hunt in the world. But two, I know that quail are going to benefit at the same time because mm-hmm. the, the brood habitat that they are building for wild turkeys. It's going to be the same brood habitat that localized coveys of quail are going to use. Mm-hmm. And so quail are going to benefit. And the the, the dirty little secret here that, that I love that you guys talk about is the white-tailed deer are going to benefit from that too, that early successional oh, habitat. Man, because yeah. we all know that deer don't live by food plots alone. So I'm excited no, to hear – Nor
1: by white, okay, corns.
2: <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, they would be in trouble most
1: of My years. My word, they would be. Yeah.
2: So I'm I'm excited to hear that that other um, conservation groups or folks that are interested in other things besides Bob White Quail are getting behind this early successional habitat because let's face it, if you take and we talked about this um going out to Kansas, if you take a road trip anywhere across the eastern United States and you look at the landscape it's either going to be on one, one or the other side of the spectrum. It's going to be on the left side of the spectrum. It's either going to be overgrazed or dirt. Yep. And at the far side of the left side or the right side of the spectrum, it's going to be tall, close canopy forest. Well, there's nothing in between, but the species that we really care about wild turkeys, quail, white tailed deer, a lot of these other critters need that landscape, need that habitat, habitat type that's in between yep. dirt and, and tall trees. And that is really what's lacking on the landscape.
1: Definitely, without, without a doubt. And and that, but I know, I know we talk about it, and people are like, gosh, guys, I get it. But that transitional zone, man, it's a dynamite for so many different things. And it's like, I, I don't understand why we can't, like w- why be on both sides of the spectrum? I'm probably like the world's most boring person, not to be Political or just random views, but I just find myself in the middle a lot. It's like I'm in the habitat spectrum. I'm not a lover of big, giant, mature trees, and that's all I got. I'm not a a big fan of just barren, open field, and that's all you got. I'm right there in the middle. Yes. I want, I want most. I want, I want, I want different components, and, and all those, or I guess, those sides of the spectrum may be a a part of it. But it's not the only thing, or it's not that I only have this or that. I want everything in the middle, because that right. that means I've got the diversity as well as the opportunity to support quail numbers, turkey numbers, and deer. I've got the ability to do all that, and the various songbirds and a cottontail rabbit and other predators that are going to be cool to see navigating and benefiting from this. Like That is... That's the whole point is to take a broad spectrum approach and not such a narrow focus on it. Because quite frankly, everything needs that help. Like turkey numbers we're seeing. Yeah, they're not doing as hot in some areas. They need a little help. Well, quail numbers, my gosh. If this podcast doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. 80% in Missouri, 90 to to 100% in other states. Like they're screaming for help. And if we don't, I guess, turn our focus away from either end of the spectrum, well, they're not going to get that help right. at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's the biggest limiting factor for bobwhite populations is just that early successional habitat. Um, they generally have enough woody cover on the landscape. It may not be the best, but they generally have some. Man, they need that early successional habitat and it's it's just not there. And one of the things that is that I think folks look at is is if you've got a piece of ground that's crop ground or a food plot, that's that that is usable. You're using that. Okay, I'm growing a crop. I'm using that ground. Or if you've got a piece of timber, well, that's timber ground. That's wildlife habitat. I'm I'm fully utilizing that. That that's that's what it needs to be. But if you've got a field that's grown up and looks uncamped and it's full of ragweed or whatever, then that looks like wasted space. Ah, I need to do something with that. I'm not growing crops there. I'm not I'm not growing something there. I need to do something with that. Well that's the wrong way to think about it. You mm-hmm. think about that as man, that's great. That's doing the work for me. That's growing the groceries. That's growing the seeds that my wildlife needs. I'm just stepping back, putting a little fire to it, maybe spraying some invasive species, whatever strip disking whatever you need to do, throw a few cows on there if it gets too thick. Mm-hmm. But no don't look at that ground as unutilized or wasted space. We need to look at that ground as that, hey, that's working for me. I don't have to do a ton of management or really intensive management. And I'm getting so much benefit out of that. I think we we start to think in that lawn mentality. If we want oh, our lawn yeah. Mode and and landscaped and, every, and all of our edges trimmed you know yada 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 all that well in wildlife perspective that's totally not what we need we need to be thinking about if we have some ragweedy pastures man that's good let's not spray it with 2,4-D to try to kill the ragweeds so we could grow more grass how about we just let the ragweeds do what they're going to do for the benefit of the bobwhite for the benefit of other species and and just you know think about it from that
1: perspective without a doubt i was i was just at a farm beautiful beautiful farm in alabama this past week and it was one of those ones like you drive through um drive through the entrance and the the first half of it is all cattle pasture and then the the second half is um either pine plantation or um it's failed pine plantation and they've sent fires through the failed areas, and it's just beautiful um some young forest early successional plant communities coming back and It's like, "Wow, this thing is awesome, but the the landowner looked me dead square in the eyes, and was like, "I'm making this wildlife heaven, and he was like hundred percent serious. it was kind of like there's i don't I don't the cattle will be gone. The end of the contract is at the end of this year, and i and I need a plan to address basically every acre on the farm, but specifically how to lay out the front portion. And I'm like, I'm loving this right now because yeah. I've got hundreds of acres to be able to, to manage basically to, to whatever degree needs to happen. And that, that doesn't happen often. Usually there's the limiting factors of, Oh, I still need cattle or I still need income or, you know, this and that. Um, but this was a, this was a very much blank slate. And I, and I had to reiterate to, to him, um, which he already knew was and totally okay with but I was like this place is is gorgeous um and in my eyes it's going to get even more beautiful but from the for the first couple years as things are establishing themselves and we're removing some of these forage type um vegetation across hundreds of acres it's going to look hairy like it's gonna it's yeah. gonna it's gonna change in the way it looks and he goes i'm good with it i'm I'm on board this is this yeah. is what i want so i'm like that right there that just acceptance of here's what my norm has been um and it's, this is a family piece of land too so it's not like it's like he doesn't have the, the, some emotional ties to it or like he just purchased it and was like oh let's just change it this is a gentleman who has evaluated this property looks at it and says It can be a lot better for wildlife, and I'm the guy to turn that ship around. I don't care what it's going to look like. I just know that what you guys are talking about, I'm full in. I get it. I want it to be that, and you just developed the plan, and you're going to see it implemented. And I'm like, man, that's music to my ears because now there's, I don't know, 800 acres or so in um, Alabama that's getting – to be 100% prime, 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 prime habitat. And he's going to be a, he is going to be a diamond in the rough. And he does have quail on the place, by the way, um, after they burn those failed pine plantations. But it's, it's the fact that I don't, I don't need it to look a certain way. I need it to be functional. I need to be functional for these species. And so that then my family and my young boys have this to be able to grow up into and I can share all of these wonderful outdoor experiences with them right here on this farm and I want them to be a part of that let's say grooming transformation process. I'm like you were you are the man right now. Yeah. This is this is what we need. We need folks who are okay with change and willing to um put in the time and energy to see that change happen. So Kudos to him, but it's out there. There's the potential, and and it's going to fall on you know, of course, state agencies, but it's also going to fall very, very, very heavily on private landowners to make these differences and see these changes. Right,
2: right, and it's it's going to take that purposeful management, and though that that understanding, I think, is is key. That understanding of this importance. Of this early successional habitat having habitat that's in the middle is is key and the, the cool thing is is these species that we really care about um in terms of a hunting perspective and even if we don't want to hunt them the species that really utilize early successional habitat are built ec- ecologically to respond very quickly to good habitat conditions. Mm -hmm. And so quail, if they're in the area and you go from zero usable space to all of a sudden usable space on the landscape, they will respond well and they will respond quickly. And there are countless success stories across the country of folks that have taken non-usable space, say a, a woodland and cut it down or did some timber stand improvement or whatever or taken a crop field or a pasture and let it go into some weedy growth there's tons of those case studies where quail have responded quickly and i know turkeys will respond quickly in those cases too because we've got the we've got the data that shows that so that's the cool thing is with these species if you have a piece of property and it looks hairy for a couple of years you're going to be rewarded because the, the, the wildlife will respond quickly. It's not something that you have to wait for. Like if you're mm-hmm. planting a walnut plantation and think, well, one day I'm going to have the near quality law. Well, my kids will, you know, you don't have to think, you, you don't have to think in those, that time scale. You think, Hey, next year or the next two years, I'm going to start hearing Bob White's. I'm going to start seeing Turkey pulps chasing grasshoppers. That's pretty cool to think about is, is that success is, it's pretty readily um, available, and it happens pretty quickly and um, predictably.
1: Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, one, one of the things we haven't really uh, talked about too much, we, we've relied heavily there on the, the habitat management side of things that, that we need to be doing this, it needs to be active. Um, what about translocation of quail? I know it's come up um, with you know just general list listeners to the podcast as well as some clients um and and we're not we're talking translocation of birds so like a wild bird to another um location where they're out in the wild it's not rearing pen raised birds and releasing translocation no, yeah. is right, right is is going to be very different from that and um it's it's happening but w- what kind of I guess so. I guess some some of my fears and and probably fears of of those listening as well, um, hopefully that you can address, Frank, would be, okay. If we've got a, a bird, a population life cycle wise, so where seventy percent die every single year, how many how many birds are we going to have to translocate to be able to just get started in a for a general population in an area that has ideal habitat and, and how large of an area do we think that we may need for this to be successful of prime habitat for quail?
2: Okay. Great questions. Um, So to back up, translocations have occurred in the past. Um, For instance, there was back in the nineties a translocation of quail from Kansas to Ohio Um, there is has been recently in the more recent past within the last decade or or even five years there's been quail translocated from the, the quail plantations in Georgia and Florida to low sites in Delaware and New Jersey where populations were low enough that needed an infusion of new birds so the work is going on the work is being heavily studied by researchers at tall timbers uh research station in in florida there's their head biologist there did his phd on quail translocation so the work is being going on in fact they published sort of the first real um paper on translocations and what is and and what has worked and what has not worked most of the times it has worked they've got a method that works really well the national White conservation initiative uh, that i mentioned earlier the science subcommittee is working on a translocation policy that will outline what is needed in terms of the amount of habitat and the condition of the habitat and then how many birds are going to be needed source birds so in terms of Source birds and habitat, I I don't really know the numbers right off. But what I can say is that these donor sites are going to require that these receiving sites be fully usable and have some kind of a management plan. Because it's only fair if I'm giving you birds, Matt, Mm that I expect your property to be fully usable but you'd also have a management plan that says this is what you're going to do, year two, three, and so on, so that my investment in you pays off. Yeah. And it's not just dumping birds into a, a site where they have no chance. Sure. So the habitat has got to be on the ground. The habitat has got to have some sort of purposeful management plan. But it is something <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think the folks in the southeast of, are, are on the right track with this. Because I think they saw the need for potential translocations going forward, and they're developing the protocols to go with it. Because I think Matt, it's going to be something we're going to have to think about more and more as we go forward. Yeah, uh, and it's got to be something that, and, and of course, it's it's not an easy process because these birds belong to the states, and the states have to agree to give one state uh, birds. They've got to agree where they come from, so the a base a simple landowner or landowner can't simply just go to his neighbor and say, "Hey, can I get some birds to bring to my property?" Mm-hmm. That's that may happen, but it's not elite. I mean, it's not legal from sure. from, from that framework. So there's a, there's a process that goes with it, but I really think it's going to be more and more common as we go um, to to get to get these birds. Back into populations where habitat, or excuse me, back into locations where habitat is good, but numbers are so low that there's no chance for them to recover, Uh, and these new infusion of birds just might do the trick. And these translocations that the folks in the southeast have done have been largely successful. Great. So there is there is some hope with it, Um, and it's and it it's also happening in Texas on Mm -hmm. on a certain scale they're doing translocations within the state so there's okay. it's not near difficult to do translocations between the state, state, state as it is within mm-hmm. and so they're doing translocations with Bob Whites they're doing translocations with Blue Quail also gotcha so um, it, it is it is occurring and I think really it's going to be something that we're going to hear more and more of going forward
1: sure no it sounds Unfortunately, it sounds like that's the uh, course of action um, that that we're getting to. Hopefully, we can kind of right that wrong and and um, put them, put more habitat and, and allow some of these populations to not be so isolated or or out on an island and do what we do our best from that from that landowner active land manager habitat standpoint. We can we can improve. We can. We can make these disturbances that are necessary for, for quail to persist because it's not, it's not like that's a cheap thing to do, translocate birds. like there, There's a lot of resources that go into that from state agencies to be able to make that happen. Like We were talking man hours to trap and find these birds driving. Then, then there is the um, releasing of those birds, all the man hours it takes to be able to do that and then the follow up management of those set acres and monitoring of those populations like it's it's a it's a costly thing for a state yeah. agency to take that on but but it's one of those things that my gosh we're at the point where whew, I, if, if we're not doing something we're going to lose them that's right that's right um I don't like saying yeah. that no
2: <laughs> i don't either i don't either and and that's that's something that that I, I think about a lot, um, and think about ways that, under the scope of influence that I can have, which is, which is the management authority that I have on the on the land that that I'm, you know, entrusted to manage, I can do what what I can to ensure that the habitat is available for quail, and then whatever voice that I have from a statewide level, to these podcasts with you guys to sitting on this committee with the national bobwhite conservation initiative to 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 spread the word and that's what i'm committed to doing because these this species is one that i grew up with one that i uh have raised several bird dogs on and and hope to raise a couple of bird hunting sons uh too on And, and and so it's it's something that that I'm not going to give up on is something that, that is, is very special to me personally, mm-hmm. but also on a professional level. So, yeah. Um, so that's where I come come from this. And I, and I, I just want the word to get out there uh, that there is a problem just, you know, not to scare folks, but to scare folks into some action is what we're Correct. trying to do here.
1: Correct. Ed, educate and let that education then transform into action on the landscape.
2: That's right. That's
1: right. That's the best we can do, man. I mean, it it's uh, It's a message. Like I said, there's a, there's a, probably a lot of people who are like, man, I had no idea it was that bad. Listen right now. And um encourage you to hit share, copy and paste the link over, text it out, email it, find people who have that heart of conservation just like you do and share the message, no, not to increase downloads for land and legacy but to increase the awareness of a greater importance and that's the importance of bob white quail numbers not only in your region but on a countrywide standpoint this is this is a huge deal i mean pennsylvania you said they said zero birds in the state yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's not bad that's not good that's that's get about as home. bad as you can get, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's just that is yeah. tough. That is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Mm, oh, man, I I what are what are what are the if someone's listening right now and they're like Frank, I've got I've got ten hours this week. You tell me what I should do on my property. Just just give a quick like encouragement. Hey, these are a couple great techniques that you can do um, on your property, try and get out there and, and accomplish them this week. What What are some good takeaways someone yeah. can some do here? Week
2: would, this week would be a great time to, if you've got, um, if you've got piece, a piece of ground that is overgrown, that is rank and that there's no bare ground or, or space or, or spaces between vegetation clumps, or there's very few weeds, to get out and do some prescribed fire if if it's if the weather allows watch your wind watch your humidity watch your fuel conditions get out there and do some prescribed fire get out there and do some disking if you have some rank CRP grass or rank tall native warm season grasses do some strip disking this is a good time to do that um, it's a good time to do some some tree removal get out there and do some edge feathering do some some tre- some hack and squirt doesn't work sometimes great right now Mm -hmm. because the sap is flowing up in certain species so maybe instead of doing that just do some tree removal cut the trees treat the stumps things like that do some forest improvement this is really a good time to be getting out there and doing all of those things basically creating that disturbance creating conditions such that weeds will be responding in may june and july and your quail will will have great brood habitat and your turkeys will too
1: Absolutely any any other last thoughts here no that's it i i want to appreciate you guys i I appreciate you guys
2: you know giving voice to this concern definitely i also appreciate you guys uh from a from a more broad perspective of of realizing you know your business and your your um your consulting firm was, was very very heavy and very very knowledge and experienced in the tailed deer and the, the wild turkey perspective, but you saw a need and the importance of small game and, and Bob white and, in early successional habitat. And so you've started to shine a light on that. You've done this within the last couple of years or, or even more, but really within the last couple of years, you've really shown a light on this. And I, and I'm very appreciative. There's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of folks that are shining the light or have the platform that you guys do to do that. So, from a, a small game perspective, I really appreciate that you've that you've given airtime and and video space on on your on your website and on your YouTube channels to to small game. That's really important.
1: Absolutely, man. It it's uh like I said, conservation and conservationists. That is a broad term, and I think that our focus has got to be broad as well. Um, we have to share that same perspective when we're looking at just the natural resources, um, whether that be plants or it be animals, we, we're, we, we should care and have a, and have a fiber in us that just, it, it hurts when we hear something like that. Cause that's, it's our, it's our, it's our time to shine. And it's our time to be able to do something about it. There's no, there's no better time than the present. So, um, we got to talk about it, and we and whether it's fun or or bad news or like I think a couple of weeks ago or last week we talked about um, invasive species. I don't I don't want to have to talk about the fact that there are invasive species on the landscape, but I can't ignore the fact that they are there, and that if we don't do something about them, all these beautiful early successional fields that that we're trying to promote will possibly be overtaken by non-native invasive species. So. Therefore, we got to talk about it and we, we got to share good information, accurate education on managing those resources. And we're going to do it. Committed to good. it. Good. So thanks, Frank, for your time, yep. your expertise. Yep. Guys, I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast again. Um, I don't care if you've never killed a quail or uh, in your life, but if you if you care about um these plant communities, if you care about the species, if you care about other hunters and their interest, this is something that we need to be able to definitely share and get out on the airwaves and discuss because it's certainly important. It's important to us here at Land Legacy, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be able to listen to it and... Um, Hopefully you guys get out there this week and, and do some awesome habitat improvements. And uh, if you do, please be sure to send us some pictures through social media. That's uh, on Instagram, Facebook, at Land and Legacy. If you have any questions as well or looking to improve your property specifically for uh, whitetail deer, wild turkey, upland species, please give us an email. Um, you can go to the website, www.landandlegacy.tv on the consulting tab and then there's a box below to be able to put in your information and we will be sure to get back with you on that. So appreciate everyone listening and we will catch you next week. Bye-bye.